The Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand series is brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity, a financial training, coaching, and IP development organization led by financial advisors, coaches, and business leaders committed to taking a holistic approach to advising. To learn more about our organization and upcoming training opportunities for financial professionals, visit ClarityToProsperity.com. Welcome to the Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand podcast. This series is accompanied with a webinar as well as a white paper. This series covers relevant topics about how you can multiply yourself as the rainmaker in your financial services practice. You'll learn how you can take advantage of efficiencies, how to bring on associate advisors and new profitable revenue streams, and also how to utilize thought leadership within the financial services industry to grow your business and to multiply yourself and your revenue. So today's podcast topic is how to multiply your by successfully transitioning client relationships to an associate advisor. I'm your host for today's podcast, Mary Stirk, and I'm the head of coaching for Clarity to Prosperity, as well as the CEO and founder of Stirk Financial, which is a large planning practice in the Midwest. And as a special guest with me today, I have Brian Bibbo. Brian is an accredited investment fiduciary, and Brian, you're also a in a model office with Clarity Prosperity, correct? That's absolutely right, Mary. Our goal here today is to help you make it rain so you can be successful in your business and continue your growth upwards. So let's talk about that and kind of see how it works and how we're going to give you some tips and tricks to make this work in your firm. And, and why I'm really excited to have Brian as our podcast guest today is that Brian is one of the advisors at the J.L. Smith Group, and he was actually the, the number one producer for C2P last year. So Brian has gone from being the associate advisor to being the lead advisor, so he really brings a unique perspective from both sides of the coin, so we're going to talk about that today. So there, yep. there's a typical growth trajectory that um, advisory firms go through when they're growing and getting ready for the need to actually transition client relationships. So you're normally going to begin your practice on your own and you're going to set about gaining clients and pretty soon you're going to hit some complexity and you're going to begin to wonder now what. So you're going to interview for an assistant, they're going to kind of help you as your first hire. But the cycle is going to continue. You build your book of business, you add more clients, you get the complexity again, and you're wondering, now what? And so this is the time that most firms actually hire associate advisors. But while many firms have associate advisors, they actually struggle to find a way to effectively transition certain client relationships to them because there really are a number of obstacles to do this. And Brian, I don't know about you, but what I think that one of the biggest obstacles is time. When you think about uh, humans in general, what is our number one commodity? Time. So as an associate advisor, what we really tried to do was take time and give more of it to the lead advisor. So the goal along the way was saying, hey, I'm going to give this, this lead advisor more time. I'm going to take over these annual reviews. And now us as the lead advisor, it's transition. I want to free up more of my time so I could go hunt down more profitable relationships. I can work on the new clients coming in and, and transferring over the clients that have the lower investable assets to that associate advisor. 
Right, and here's the thing, that while your associate advisor and lead advisor's agendas are aligned with time, it's actually hard to find the time to build a strong process to effectively transition relationships. So that's definitely one obstacle. I think a second challenge really is surrounding hiring and finding a good associate advisor. So what would you say about that, Brian? Yeah, uh, this is one of the biggest complications that we ran into because when we're looking to hire this associate advisor, what are the objections that we're getting? Hey, it's difficult. I have to look at resumes. I got to make sure they're a right fit for the firm. I'm going to train them. And if I train them in the long run, is it going to be training my competition or someone you're bringing in that has just a negative experience with a previous firm? You know, and, and the challenge really comes from the fact that if an associate advisor leaves, one thing might be that the clients could revert back to you to then take care of, or another thing could be that you have trained your competition and those clients want to follow the associate advisor. So now you've wasted time, you're losing revenue, and that's not something that I think anybody wants to sign up for. Absolutely not, Mary. What would you kind of say in your case, you know, and I, I know you've been successful at uh, transitioning the associate advisors, but for you, what was the what was the biggest challenge, would you say, in your case is, hey, transitioning to the associate advisor? Well, truly the biggest challenge I had was overcoming my own mental blocks about it. So I felt like I had, you know, initially made this commitment that I was going to take care of these clients. And I felt uncomfortable because I thought it would be perceived as kind of like a jerk. Like, you're too big for me now. Like, you can't work with me anymore because I'm not a big enough client for you. And I never wanted any of our clients to ever feel that. And so I had a lot of mental blocks about how to overcome that. But when we created the solution that we're going to share with people today about how to overcome that, it was just like this huge light opening up. Because the truth of it is that solution by doing it in the way that we're going to show you how to do it really is going to be a better environment for the client where they're better taken care of than the service that I'm providing because I really have gotten too busy. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's great input. And I think what I would add to that is as a lead advisor, my biggest thing was, as you said, I was always the go-to person. I thought I was taking on everyone for life. And I had to put out there is, hey, this is a team approach. If we want to grow the firm, if I want to grow my book as an individual, you know, I got to be able to transition this lead advisor knowing that, hey, it's going to be a smooth transition, that we have this process in place, and it's going to turn out good in the long run. So for sure, while there's challenges to the idea of transitioning clients to an associate advisor, there's also undoubtedly opportunities. Number one, it's going to free you up to work on larger cases. Number two, like I said, it's really going to actually allow a higher level of service to create happier clients for some of those smaller accounts. And then number three, it actually creates a whole host of financial benefits for your firm. The associate advisors might be able to generate revenue for further developing those relationships. It helps you become more of a self-managing company. And all of those things really point to a higher resale value of your business when you're actually ready to exit the industry. Yeah, and everyone on this podcast here, 
what what are you trying to do? You're trying to grow your book of business. You're trying to get that associate advisor in place. For what purpose? You want to find more opportunities. You want your money and your business to work on for you while you're sleeping. What this will do is they will drum up additional business for you. I'll give you some examples here. When I was transitioning my clients uh, to the associate advisor, they were going more in depth finding more sales, you know, funeral expense trust, Medicare, new money that the client inherited, or you know what, maybe they've been accumulating in the savings account and it's been sitting there and it's like, hey, what do we do with this? Right. So develop a solution that really does allow you to customize the annual review process that you have with five specific steps. Number one, it's going to allow you to personally introduce the associated to your clients. Number two, it's going to share a new concept of expanding your resources with a new team approach. And that, in a way, is going to effectively allow you to easily replace any team members if they're no longer with your team in the future. Number three, it's going to help clarify the roles and reassure the client they're not losing you, it's just an expansion of resources. Or you're going to give your associate advisor the opportunity to actually build credibility. And then finally, number five is going to allow your associate advisor to further contact that client in order to boost the relationship and add value. So to follow these pieces of this solution, we actually break down the review process into three distinct phases. We're going to kind of step you through what happens in each one of those phases to create a successful transition. Yeah, and breaking it down in these different phases, while you said there was three of them, and that's important, is you want to make sure that the proper planning and preparation is done by, hey, the lead advisor, but the associate advisor. You want to get your associate advisor up to date on the client that they're going to walk in, they're going to be a part of this meeting. You want them to be able to interject on the meeting. You want them to know what they're talking about with the confidence and know how they're different. Hey, how does their AUM work? How do their, their different annuities, how does the investments they have work? work within their financial plan. Right, so with proper preparation before the review, what we would call the pre-review stage, your normal administrative preparation would be done. But then the associate advisor would have some steps to do to get prepared and get familiar with the client background and accounts. So for example, if the client has annuities, the associate advisor needs to be familiar with any guarantees or riders that are on those annuities. They want to make sure they review the client data to understand and get a good picture of the age of the client and where they live and different things like that. They want to review the AUM accounts to understand risk tolerance and whether or not there's any systematic withdrawals or additions or RMDs happening from there. It's really important also that the associate advisor review the notes from last year's review as well as any phone or activity logs that have happened over the course of the year, so they really are intimately familiar with what's happening with that account. They're gonna to wanna to look at the beneficiaries to determine if there's any potential beneficiary changes, and then they're going to want to make sure that they review this with the lead advisor prior to going into the review. So even if it's just like a five-minute powwow to just kind of go over these things and make sure everybody's on the same page, then you're going to be able to discuss issues, concerns, and any sales opportunities that might come up in that review. So, I mean, do you think, Brian, that doing it like this would give advisors a higher level of confidence 
they really are going to know their associate advisors are well prepared. Absolutely right. I mean, it's all about them understanding where the client came from, understanding, hey, the previous meeting, what's going on? How do their accounts work? How do they fit in their financial plan? And having that in-depth analysis is going to give the confidence to myself as a lead advisor, but also build the, the uh, credibility and also the confidence in that associate advisor heading into the meeting. Right. So that's the pre-review part of it. Now let's move to during the review. So when the client comes in, you're going to want to greet them as the lead advisor and introduce them to your associate. And it's really important to lay the groundwork and immediately establish credibility by introducing them as your right hand on their accounts. It's also important to get their permission for the associate advisor to sit in because when they get that permission, it actually creates an implied buy-in from the very start. So simply saying, hey, this is so-and-so, and she's my right hand on your account, she's going to be sitting in with us today, is that okay? Just in that 15 seconds of dialogue, you're actually laying huge layers of groundwork for the transition to be successful. Now, everybody has their own way of doing a client review. Clarity to Prosperity has a process that they use that's called Step 4 but most advisors have customized their review to actually do it their own way. Bottom line with during the review that's most important is that the lead advisor really wants to start it off and be conversing with the client about what's important to them, what's on their mind, what are the concerns that they have, what are the opportunities they have. But following that piece of the conversation and before you get into anything account specific, what you really want to be able to do is share with your client that you've moved into a new phase with the growth of your company that you're very excited about. And you want to introduce them to a new team concept. Now, in our business, we have a four-person team that we introduce them to. And we've created a beautiful visual that has the faces and the names and the people are responsible for. We can actually lay that visual down and circle the four faces that are on their team. So I'm gonna basically position it like this. Hey, I'm excited to share that we're growing. And over the last year, we've been able to expand the resources for our clients. We now have a four person team for each client. So introduce you who's on your team. And then I can lay that visual down. I'm definitely gonna circle my own face as the lead advisor because I want to reassure the client that I'm still part of this team. I want to circle the face of the associate advisor and introduce them as I see my right hand on your accounts. But then you also really want to add a service person or two as part of the team. So for instance, we would circle the face of one of our service people and say, you know, this is who you talk to if you want to withdraw money from your accounts or if you need tax forms for anything. And then I'd circle a different administrative person's face and say, this is who you talk to if you need to schedule an appointment or if you need help getting your electronic access set up or if you have a problem with the password or anything on looking up your accounts online. And really what that does when you position it like that is you're establishing the team and it's not just a handoff from you to another advisor. And I think that's just super important, Brian. 
Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest things I shared previously was like, I never said it was a team approach. I was that one person. But now when I go in there with the associate advisor, you know, it, it alleviates the phone calls I have to make on a daily basis. It's going to eliminate those emails from those clients. If they need to take a distribution, they're going to this individual. If they have a question on their plan or they have a life change, they're going to this individual. So it's really setting the stage of who do they go to when something comes up in their life or if they just have questions, who are they supposed to go to? It's all about that time aspect and, and freeing up the time. So you're setting the stage here that, hey, I have a team. These are all the people that support you. Right. And I think that this is a super important piece, too, because you're ultimately training your clients on who to call. As your associate advisors grow, really, they're going to want the administrative team to be doing as much as they can, too, so they can focus on continuing to grow their practice within your firm. So... It's going to help when you're including those administrative teams on there, too, to really round out who's responsible for what in your office. Now, the final thing that meeting your team like this does is by having like a four-person team is that if one person leaves, it's really easy to just kind of take them out of the team and slot somebody else in. It's much different to replace one person on a four-person team than it is to try to replace one advisor if that one advisor is the single point of contact that that client has with your firm. So it makes a genuine difference in how they perceive their relationship. It really is not only transitioning to that associate advisor, but really broadening the relationship to be with your firm and not just with you personally. Now the next step to really making this a successful transition then is giving the associate advisor a role in the meeting to enrich their value for the client. You have to let them create credibility by being able to talk about that client's accounts and their situation themselves. So Brian, in your reviews then, what types of things would you actually have the associate advisor lead the discussion on to build that credibility? Yeah, so why they looked over all that data we talked about before, here's some examples that what I have the associate advisor do. Hey, reviewing and talking about the goals and concerns, making sure we've still continue to address those in their financial plan. Update the family estate organizer. That's a big one that we do in those annual review meetings. We're going to sit down, we're going to pull out some of the old documentations, put in new ones, update the asset sheets. Uh, we draw the bucket plan, making sure we're on the same page. One big thing we do in our step four, which is the annual review, is, hey, are you still comfortable with the risk that you're taking? So we show them the risk. The associate advisor will sit there and go, hey, here's the risk you're taking. Are you still comfortable with this? Where are we at in the market? Making changes also. Uh, updating the bucket plan. Looking at the income tax return, what are the tax planning opportunities this year? Uh, is there some tax loss harvesting we need to take care of? Is there some Roth conversions we need to take care of? And then the last thing is, you know, any points that they could come up with that, hey, Medicare, funeral expense trust, all those kind of other ancillary benefits, hey, should we be bringing that to the table? You know, that's the things I'm going to let the associate advisor kind of run with. I will interject during those times, but I'm going to let him, I'm going to let him or her run with it so they feel comfortable planting the seeds that, hey, now they are the point of reference and they are a credible source. Now, something kind of magical tends to happen within that period in your review. So at first, your client might be a little skeptical of this new person that's sitting in there. 
But when your associate advisor actually starts to go over with and talk to them about their accounts and is demonstrating that they are familiar with their situation, your clients tend to lean in, they tend to make a little better eye contact, and they start talking directly to your associate advisor and not to you. And if you're able to just quietly sit there and only interject, what you're doing is letting that rapport build and letting that relationship build. And it's quite you know, beautiful to see it happen, and it happens time and time again when you lay it out this way. Now, at the end of the meeting, when it's time to close, Generally speaking, a lot of people are using that as an opportunity to ask for referrals. I do think that the lead advisor needs to be more of a participant in closing the meeting. You know, the relationship is still there with that lead advisor, and so it's more appropriate for them to be the one that's asking for referrals than the associate advisor. Would you agree with that, Brian? Absolutely. And the thing is the next transition. So they give you referrals later down the line, let's say. You want to make sure those still go to the lead advisor. And then, hey, if it's a right fit for the lead advisor, they'll take them on. Or maybe they pass them down to the associate advisor. That's why it's so important. The relationship is still with the lead advisor. The whole purpose of this meeting was to provide the credibility of the associate advisor. So when you're asking for these referrals or you're collecting the renewal planning fee in this, which a lot of us are doing, you know, you want the lead advisor doing that. So the, the way to kind of pull this full circle then during the review is to close it by just reminding them that you're really excited to be able to offer this expansion of resources with their four-person team. And you want to specifically it up by saying something like this. So when for your reviews in the future, you might have both of us with you, it might just be me, or it might just be so-and-so, the associate advisor's name. So Julie is one of our associate advisors, so I literally say it might be both of us, it might just be me, or it might just be Julie. But regardless, you have a four people supporting your accounts here. The beauty in this is that then in the future it's open as to who they'll see. Now, if that associate advisor is still with you, it's highly likely it is going to be just them. But if they're no longer with you, then at the next review, it's not strange for you to be in the review introducing a new team member for their four-person team. So it creates an environment where it allows the associate to be the main manager of the account without completely separate relationship with the original lead, and then really then secures that relationship to the firm itself. And Mary, that was one of the biggest aha moments that we had is saying, hey, you know what, next year it's going to be myself and the associate advisor, it could be this person, or it could just be me, because what are you doing? You're making sure you're protecting yourself. If that associate advisor was to leave your firm, that, hey, guess what, the lead advisor shows up the next year, it is no skin off their back, it's the exact same transition, there's, the, there's a comfortability level there. Right. So we've talked about what to do pre-review, and we've talked about what to do during the review, but now let's talk a little bit about what to do after the review. So after the review itself, the associate advisor has one more opportunity to cement the new relationship. So not only should they do some work internally to follow up after the review, but they really should be reaching out to that client. So following the review, they want to make sure that they have a quick conversation with the lead advisor so the lead advisor and the associate advisor are on exactly the same page about any action items that need to be taken care of. 
And then if the transition is complete, that associate advisor really should denote that in some way in your CRM so that everybody's clear that that relationship has been transitioned. They're going to want to update any information for the client in the CRM. They're going to be the one that dictates the notes. They're going to be the one that needs to handle any of the follow-up communication or action items needed for the client that came about as a result of the review. And here's the piece that really ties it all together and that cementing of that relationship to happen. The associate advisor should send out an email within 24 hours of that review to reconnect with that client. And Brian, what would you recommend that that email actually say? Yeah, so first of all, you just want to say, hey, great to meet you. But you want to say, I want to reach out to you, and I look forward to continuing a relationship with the lead advisor and the team on your account. So again, you're, you're reiterating and you're solidifying that team approach. So you want to make sure you use that kind of verbiage to say, hey, it is that team approach. Secondly, you want to say, hey, going forward, and remember, this is coming from the associate advisor, here's my contact information. Something comes up, I'm here for you. If you want to reach out to me at any time, don't hesitate to. And it, it's kind of like a bookend. It's the communication piece. It's coming from that associate advisor, but you also want to kind of end it. I look forward to seeing you again next time you are in. So it's also that transition piece that, hey, this associate advisor is going to be a part of these reviews or if anything comes up in future. Right, so it really reiterates the team approach, and it also bookends, like you said, the transition with a piece of communication that's coming only from the associate advisor. So, you know, we've talked about, you know, pre-review, during the review, and post-review, and that really takes the solution start to finish. But let's talk a little bit about some best practices before we end our podcast today. So, Brian, what would you say kind of are the top three best practices that you can say for doing a client review transition this way? Yeah. When you're positioning this to the client, remember, it's a team approach and it's an expansion of the resources. What are we doing? We're essentially putting this team around you, giving you more resources. This is better than before because now you get faster responses. You also have these people to go to. It also reassures the client that you are still on their team. You don't want to just say and just transition them and go, hey, here it is. This person's taking over the account. See you later. It's not going to work. You want to make sure you're saying the lead advisor is still a part of this team. And it also is going to have the associate advisor's contract written to protect them, okay? So what do I mean by this? The associate advisors we are bringing on, you want to have a contract in place to make sure it protects the firm with the client. So, so Mary, what would you say if, if I'm having this contract, what would I want it to be like to protect the firm? Well, what I think that we really need our associate advisor contracts to be is not the non-compete type of contracts that most of us all kind of cut our teeth on having, but what we really see being more effective are called non-piracy contracts. And that means that the advisor can leave your firm and they can be in the business, but they're prohibited from taking or contacting any clients or prospects of the firm. So if you have a non-piracy contract in place, it allows you to do a couple of things. One is it protects your firm from losing clients to them, but we all know that this is a relationship business. 
So if the relationship is strong enough, and if that associate advisor is no longer a good fit in your firm, maybe you are going to want to let them go, and maybe some of the clients should follow them. If that's the case, though, there needs to be an exchange of money because you spend time investing in this associate advisor and helping them get to where they are, and ultimately you supply those clients to them. So the contract should be written specifically that the firm owns 100% of the clients. And if the advisor leaves, it is possible at the firm's discretion for the associate advisor to buy the clients from the firm. Now, you want that buy price to have some teeth, though. So normally, a buy price might be somewhere between two and three times recurring revenue. In these situations, you want it to hurt a little bit. You want that contract to maybe be around four times the recurring revenue. So if they're going to leave and take clients with them, great, because you're going to get that influx of cash, and you're going to lose an employee that no longer is a good fit for your organization, and you're going to let them take the clients, not take them, but buy them from you, and it's more of a partial book sale than it is a loss of a client relationship. Does that make sense, Brian? Absolutely. I mean, here's a, here's a real life example. About two years ago, we had an advisor working with us. Uh, it was about a four years he was working for us. And it ended up turning out not to be the right fit for the firm. He decided he wanted to go out on his own. But we had this, this contract in place that said, hey, if you're going to take these clients, you owe us four times the revenue. It got to the point where we actually retained 70% of the clients because it became to the point where, hey, it was unaffordable, but there were some cases, the other 30%, he's like, all right, I'm going to give you the Forex multiple. So we got kind of a windfall at that time of income, which was nice, but we also retained 70% of them that we're still getting the trails on. We're still getting the, the revenue on. So it's, it, it was, it was a, you know, a transition, but it was a smooth transition. And, and the clients weren't off kilter because we have that team approach. And it was also something where we have the ability to, hey, that 70%, we control those relationships. So here's the thing. You really want to kind of think about your contract with your associate advisors like a prenup. <laughs> right? You want to spell visions <laughs> of how the relationship is going to end when you're at the very beginning of it. <laughs> I love it. That's a, that's a great way to look at it. Okay, so here's the thing. If there's some good best practices there's also, and do's, there's also some don'ts or things you don't want to do. So in a nutshell, you definitely don't want to drop your client without having a transition conversation. Don't just have them show up and the associate advisor meets with them with nary a word from you. That is not for your associate or for your client. You also don't want to use the actual word handoff. Nobody wants to be handed off. So if you're positioning it as an expansion of resources, actually are going to be avoiding in its entirety the word handoff. And also don't ever say that they have a new advisor. It's not about that they have a new advisor, it's about now they have a four-person team to work with them on their accounts. So really those types of things is going to help make your client transition a much stronger transition. 
I was just going to say, learn from the mistakes that that we've we've kind of made over the years. When I was at Associate Advisor, there was times where, hey, the annual re- review was done by the lead advisor in the previous year, and the next year, it's me going out there, greeting the client, bringing them back, and saying, hey, I'm the person that's going to help you going forward. You're leaving the client high and dry, and you're setting up that Associate Advisor to fail. All he is going to do is have to overcome objections that whole time. Where did the other advisor go? Why should I trust you? Is my money gone? Do you understand my situation? You don't want to leave that advisor high and dry. The other thing you don't want to do is, hey, go out there, greet the client, the lead advisor and the associate advisor, and leave right then and there saying, hey, this person's taking over, or you're in part of the appointment and you leave. You want to make sure it's that smooth transition. You're there for the whole appointment, and the associate advisor is is building the credibility, and it's that team approach. So I think the really exciting part of this is that when you think about it, how much it can actually multiply your time. You know, if you invest, let's say, 80 hours this year to transition 80 clients to your associate advisor, then every single year going forward, that's two full weeks of time that you have gotten back for yourself to be focusing on other opportunities and to be doing other things that you'd rather be doing. So I really think that if we're looking for ways to multiply our time and create a way to make it rain, then the client review transition process certainly is a leading edge way to get there. And our goal is to help everyone here, you know, like I said in the beginning, make it rain. But one of the biggest takeaways I have is, Mary, hey, get a prenup in place. <laughs> make sure if things, if things do go wrong that the business is protected. Exactly. And, and I think by doing it like this, it really is going to boost your confidence in the advisor that it can be done in a way that keeps your clients happy. It's giving you effective language and positioning to eliminate all of the major objections that you have, you and your clients might have. And it really kind of outlines clear pre and post review success criteria so the associate advisor has the credibility and the connection with their clients. So thanks for listening to our podcast today about multiplying your time. If you'd like to read more about this, we actually do have a white paper about this topic as well that you can download. And we also have a webinar surrounding this topic. So thanks again for listening to the Rainmaker On Demand podcast. And we look forward to seeing you create tremendous value for yourself and your clients with this approach. The Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand series is brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity, a financial training, coaching, and IP development organization led by financial advisors, coaches, and business leaders committed to taking a holistic approach to advising. To learn more about our organization and upcoming training opportunities for financial professionals, visit ClarityToProsperity.com.